Now join me in turning to the book of Hebrews. Would you do that? It's so good to be back around at Falls Baptist Church and Baptist College of Ministry for this very important time, the uh, Spiritual Awakening Conference, here for the students at the beginning of another semester, but for the rest of us, it's uh, just another wonderful conference here at Falls Baptist Church. It's a blessing to be uh, uh, in this in the midst of this remarkable student body. And I think all of you know how remarkable the student body is. And for these remarkable days, as God has truly met with us already, and uh, these are just great times. Now, tonight is special also because we not only have the students here, we have regular people here too. And uh, you kind of uh, balance everything out, and it's good to see you. And uh, we're looking forward to the Lord showing us something tonight that we really needed to see. And I think we have some visitors here, too, meeting folks from outside the uh, Baptist College of Ministry, our Falls Baptist Church family that are in just to hear what's going to be said and to experience it. We're glad you're here. We believe the Lord has appointed you to be here, too. Now, Hebrews chapter 12. Could we all turn to chapter 12? And run down to verse 9. We'll make reference to other parts of the chapter, though I'm sure. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For they are human fathers. Verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. That doesn't mean they gave us a spanking because they enjoyed it, but it meant they used their own human judgment about the discipline and the correction. And then it says here, but he that, our, that is our heavenly father for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, I think many of you recognize this as a very important passage in the scripture about what verse 5 calls the chastening of the Lord. And it's about other important matters, including bitterness in verse 15, a subject that has already been addressed during this conference and actually on this very day. Now, the point, as I see it, of the whole passage is this, to respond right to respond right. Now, the response of a child to correction by his father, even corporal punishment, makes all the difference in the child's life and the child of God, too. How we respond to correction. Go back to verse 7. We're going to reread a few verses of the, this passage, but we're going to go back to verse 7. He says, if ye endure chastening, and chastening, of course, means corporal punishment or a spanking, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? 
For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, now get this, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Whatever that means. In other words, it's profitable if I respond to it correctly. Because, you see, this is good for us. It's a part of the father-child relationship we have with God that we would be chastened. And there are right ways to respond to the chastening. And there are two wrong ways. Now, Lord, help us to review our Christian life. Help us to go back and undo and redo mistakes. Help us, Lord, to have your help and grace to correct and heal problems that were created by our responding to you wrong. Lord, you're a good God. You're our Father and you love us. And in the light of that, may you give us the healing we need. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, chastisement in the context of the whole book of Hebrews, down through chapter 12 and verse 5, means more than getting a spanking for misdeeds. In other words, oh, well, I should have done that yesterday. Look what happened today. Now, I'm not saying that the Lord will not necessarily bring some negative experience into our life because of something particularly we did wrong. But the book of Hebrews, the whole context, indicates that the chastening that we're talking about in chapter 12 is more than discomfort for misdeeds. That it's broader. It's about suffering for improvement. Now, Simon Peter wouldn't swallow that at first. Remember on the day when the Spirit of God, or that is the Father, revealed to him that Jesus, the one they were following, was more than a leader. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus told them that they were going to Jerusalem and he was going to suffer and die and rise again from the dead, Simon Peter said, Be it far from you, Lord. And Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan, because you savor not, Peter, the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. Now, his thinking was, suffering's always bad. Now, I don't know if Simon Peter wasn't listening when he said, rise again the third day. Come on, this has a happy ending. But when he heard that Jesus would be uh, mistreated and killed, he said, no way. But friends, the Bible teaches and experience teaches us that suffering under the hand of God can be good for us and cause us to be purified. That would also include what we usually call trials. It's all part of the father-child relationship. Do you know how much of my life is a part of the father-child relationship? When it comes to being God, all of it. All of it. Even the weather in Wisconsin. <laughs> all of it. Good news, bad news. I'm talking about all of it. All of it. And the hard stuff, classified as chastisement. Some of it we recognize as God having to take action because I've gone astray. Sometimes we have no clue why this would happen to me. But it's all a part of the father-child relationship, which is about love. Matter of fact, it says back in verse 6, whom God loves, he chastens. Matter of fact, you know what it says? One of the benefits of having a dad is that you get spanked. Did you see that? Now, I don't want to read the verse again because there's an old English word there that means an illegitimate son. And I don't particularly like reading that word out loud. It's all right to read because it's in the King James Bible, so I would do it. But you know what I mean. You know what that passage is saying? 
He's saying, if you never get spanked, then you're not a son. Because one of the benefits of having a two-parent home with a daddy is you've got somebody who loves you enough who's going to give you a spanking. Isn't that amazing? And if you don't have a daddy, then it's like you're illegitimate. Now, I'm going to pause and say that verse is not a way of you and I being able to determine if somebody's really saved. I don't know what it is, but we have kind of a perverse tendency to want to be able to see, is he really saved? Or be able to say, I don't think he's saved. We want to find a way to be able to get a peek at the book of life and look up the names and say he's not saved. I don't find any benefit in doing that. I really don't. And you know what? It's not about timing to see how long it goes before the axe falls. You know, I've heard people actually interpret this passage of Scripture that way. In other words, if you're a Christian, you can do a wrong thing. And you know, what does it have to be? Two days? Three days a month? If it waits too long, that means you're not saved before the axe falls. That's not what it means. Read it for what it says. The whole point is, when you're chastened, it isn't bad. It's good. Because it's about love. God is loving you, and the key is responding right. Take your licking. Take your licking. Now, I'm a parent. My kids are all clustered up to the 40-age type level there. You know my son, at least, and some of my other kids. They're getting up there, but we went through bringing up kids and trying biblically to correct them. And I'm going to tell you, it makes a great big difference how they respond. As a matter of fact, I was taught to pay attention to how they're responding. Now, two bad ways to respond, I'm talking about the corporeal punishment, are anger and despair. Now, when we're done with that session alone, uh, and it happened between me and John. You love John, but I'm going to tell you, I'm the guy who hit him sometimes. I'm hard, sorry to say that. I didn't abuse him, but I loved him enough to give him a spanking uh, when he needed correction. And uh, when that was over, I'll tell you what, if the son or daughter is seething, seething, filled with vengeance, with even thoughts of when I get big, he'll never do that to me again. Can I tell you, that spanking didn't do any good. It may have done him harm. When I was a young parent, we were taught what to do about that, but don't leave him that way. No. Seething, anger, and another one I've seen, and it's recorded in here too, is despair. There are kids growing up in Christian homes who think, okay, whatever. I can never please them. There's no way that I can avoid getting spanked. Despair. And I'm going to tell you, those spankings aren't doing him any good either. And there's a way to correct all of that, but that's not my subject. But parents need to pay attention to that. You know, if you're a parent and you're bringing up your kids and chastisement is a part of proper child rearing, you ought to be noticing if it's doing any good. And you ought to be noticing what their response is. But our father is doing it right every time. And the response is based on us, not him. And if there's a wrong response there are profoundly bad results. And if there's a right response to divine chastisement, there are good results. Now let's take a look and talk about what this scripture says. All right? The right response. Look at verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live reverence and submission? Now, if you ever experienced a spanking uh, administered by a loving Christian parent, you know what this is talking about. You get a wake-up call, 
and it's reverence and submission. In other words, respect is taught and enforced and also submission. You're much more inclined to obey from now on. And so that's a good response. That's the correct response. When I first became pastor at that country church where I was for 34 years, I went to see uh, a lady that, of course, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody. She had been away from church for a while. She was a member. But now she was in the ICU, the intensive care unit of the hospital. And I went up to see her because I was told she was quite sick. And I went up there, like I said, she didn't know me and I didn't know her. I was the new pastor. And I went into the room and said, I'm Pastor Flanders, the new pastor at the church. And I heard you were up here at the ICU and I came up to see you. And she said, thank you for coming, Pastor. And then she said this right away. She said, you know why I'm here. Now, I didn't know how to respond to that. And I said, no, I really don't. That's the first thing I'm going to ask you. What's wrong? She said, I don't mean that. I mean, you know why I'm here. And I said, well, I really don't know why you're in this unit. What's happened? What's gone wrong? She said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about me and God. You know why I'm in the hospital. And I'm going to tell you, God's father-child relationship is intimate with us. And when chastisement comes, we don't have, we're not clueless. We know what's going on. It's part of an ongoing thing. And many times, God is just getting us back in line. How many of you folks have ever had your Father in Heaven get you back in line? Raise your hand, okay? Universal experience. We all know about it. The right response, reverence and submission. The right response, we also find, is the grace of God. Look down at verse 10. For they, our fathers, earthly fathers... Verily for a few days chastened us after their own profit, their own pleasure. But he for our profit, now watch this, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And it says, now chastening for the present seemeth, no chastening for the present seemeth joy to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, being chastened by the Lord isn't just about God correcting a particular act of disobedience. Well, I'm getting my whooping. You know, I missed church for three weeks. Now the axe is going to fall. It's not just that. You know what else it is? It's God giving you a wake-up call that you're off track. There's a way to live the Christian life, and there's a wrong way to live the Christian life. And he says here, after we're chastised, we should respond by being partakers of his holiness. Now, I think most of you know this, but the Christian life is not to be lived in our own energy, by our own character, or through our own determined actions. The Christian life is to be loved, lived by grace through faith. In other words, the way I am to live the Christian life is to come to God every day, weak, and to say, Lord, what I am to do today, what I am to be today, I cannot make myself to be. I am weak. But dear Lord, by your grace, I can live a holy life. And I'm going to live this day by faith. I'm going to trust you and say, Lord, I can't, but you can. And that's called partakers of his holiness. The verse does not say we get a spanking so that we will buckle down and do better next time. The verse says we get a spanking so that we get back to the grace of God. Look at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God. We're talking about grace here. God is getting us back on track. The reason we fell in the first place is we were living by our own flesh, depending on ourselves, and we failed. You know, Dr. Jim, 
uh, preaches something. At least I haven't heard it in a while, but I'm not here all the time. But it was a big help to me when I first heard it. And he called it the silver lining of failure. And you know when you flop, there is a silver lining. You know what it is? Every time I fail in my Christian life, it proves that I can't do it. And hardly anything in all the world is more beneficial than knowing that you can't do it. So the chastisement comes to teach me that the law works determination. Method of living the Christian life always fails. I need to get back to the grace, faith, power of the Holy Spirit method. Abide in me. And you know what? Getting us back on track is the right response. Okay? Then number three. The third right response, according to what we're reading, is don't let it get you down. Look down. These words are important. Verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Notice the wording of verse 13. He says in verse 12, don't, don't let this get you down. Whatever has gone wrong, whatever problem has arisen, whatever form the chastisement has taken, what kind of fire you're going through in this trial, well, first thing to do is don't let it get you down because you know what? You're not alone. The Christian life is lived corporately. Family members, church members, our response to the chastisement will affect other people. Verse 13, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Now here I am in a church, and there are lame people around me, not physically lame, spiritually weak. And I'm supposed to be the strong mom. I'm supposed to be the mentor. I'm supposed to be an example. And you know what? I'm going through a rough time. And believe me, members of your family and of your church family are watching you. So he says, oh, lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. And you know what? If you'll just say, hey, buck up. Rely on the grace of God to get you through this. Let the joy of the Lord put a smile back on your face because it's not just you going through this. It's a lot of people who are watching you. And if you can come through it by the grace of God, and you can, you're going to help people instead of hurting people. You know what? We are prone, at least I am, to feel sorry for myself. Do you any, know of anybody at Falls Baptist Church who is prone to feel sorry for himself? And you know what? Sometimes when something happens, we think we're the only one in the world. And we think we have a right to be down. And a right to just not show up. Or a right to have that gloom in our life and that frown on our face. And we forget there's a whole lot of people being affected by us. And not the least of which are our own kids. Who see how dad goes through a trial. And so God says... Buck up. Let God give you the grace to get through because other people are going to be affected. So don't let it get you down. And you know what? A bad response to chastisement is catching. Other people learn it from us. So now, let's take a look at the wrong response to chastisement. Now look at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, it's interesting in your Greek New Testament. You know, Greek will do you some good, you college students. Did you know that? I took several years of Greek in undergrad and grad school, so I might as well use it. And I'm going to tell you, once in a while, you get a wow, here's one. The word looking, and I know that I have ministerial students, theologues all over the room, who didn't even bring your, 
King James Bible, you just bring your Greek New Testament. So you're probably looking at the word yourself. The word for looking at the beginning of verse 15 is not any one of the normal words for looking. It's another one. It's a word related, related to the word bishop. A bishop in the Bible is a pastor. One of the ways that love looking at his office is he is a bishop. Now who would know with all the scholars here, surely someone would know. What is another word for, what is the meaning of the word bishop? Overseer. And here it says, overseeing. Lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look out, pastor. Look out, you're the overseer. Look out for two kinds of people. Two kinds of folks in the church where there's going to be trouble, many will be defiled. They really will. And there's a reason why they are this way. Every Christian is subject to chastisement, trials, trials, suffering under the hand of their loving Heavenly Father. And how they respond to those hard times determines who they are. Those who are exercised by chastisement are down the road of the peaceable way of righteousness. They're doing fine. But there are two kind, and they're in every church. And God says, look out. Number one, bitter. Number two, profane. I remember when I first noticed that in my Bible reading, it had an effect on my pastorate. I went, bitter. And names appeared under that classification. Not many, but several obvious names. Not troublemakers, yet. I'm talking about people obviously bitter. And most of the time, we knew why. Profane. That means people who do not value highly things that are valuable. People with a very messed up value system. And you know what he's saying? Preachers, look out for the bitter and the profane. And you know what? They're going to be in your church. And watch out. Watch out. Now, what is bitterness about here? Okay, here's what it is about. It's a response to chastisement. It's the anger response. You know, it's the response that says, this isn't fair. Just like the child not taking his licking right. Hmm, I can't wait till I get big. Who takes it personal? Who starts a war with his father mentally? He's angry. And you know what? The bitter Christian usually has become that way because he's not responded properly to the suffering God has decreed or allowed in his life. And the concept is, this isn't fair. You know what? I know he's God. I don't want to say this out loud, but he did me wrong. I know at least one case where God did someone wrong. My case! Now, you're probably not hollering like that, but inwardly, there was a wrong response to what? Maybe I could name a year, or you could name a year. Maybe you could name a person. Maybe you could name a situation. And you know what? It comes up quite often sometimes when you feel like being very honest, you'll even talk with a pastor or a preacher, an evangelist, and you'll say, can I ask you something? You know, something happened that I've never been able to figure out. Now, pause just a moment here. Did you know you don't always have to be able to figure it out? I've never understood why God... Sometimes that kind of inquiry comes because you're bitter. And why are you bitter? You are bitter because you responded to God's 
actions in anger. You come away from it, you're still in church, you still love him, but it isn't the same. Not one bit. You remember the story of Daniel chapter 3 of the three Hebrew children who went through the fire? And you know what? In one part of the story it says there was no hurt. No hurt. And you know what? Neither was the smell of fire upon them. They came through a fiery child, but they didn't smell like smoke. And God let them be purified, but with no harm. Did you know the Lord, when he lets us be chastised or go through a trial, he never intends to harm us in any way. I don't mean we survived. I mean we're better. Study that story of Daniel 3. The king said to them, now I'm going to give you more and more chance to bow down to my idol. And you know what? When the orchestra plays again, you'll have another chance. And if you bow down, fine, fine. But if you refuse to bow down to my God, well, then I'm going to cast you alive into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God? that can deliver you out of my hand. And they responded, we are not carried, careful, we're not worried about responding to you, O king, because our God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us. But listen to this third statement. But if not... We will not bow down to your idol. You know, but if not is the key. Now, I live by faith, you live by faith. And many times we'll say God is able because that's a theological position. God can do anything. And many times the Holy Spirit will give us confidence. We'll say, I know God's going to come through. But you know what? You better put it at the end of it. If he doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'll be loyal to him. I will love him no matter what he does. Job 1. The good man had no clue what was going on up in heaven. His name was brought up in a conversation between God and Satan. Ironically, strangely, his name was brought up by God. Have you considered my servant Job? And our wicked, vile, twisted, perverse enemy said, no wonder he loves you. You bless him all the time, give him everything he wants. Who wouldn't love you if he was treated like you treat him? So God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a chance to work on Job. And you remember the story. He came in on one day. Job lost everything he had. And I'm not talking about all his money on the stock market. Talk about his children. Talk about his property. He lost absolutely everything on one day. Not only was that devastating for a man who was used to the blessing of God, it was even more devastating because it happened on one day and it was obvious that God was involved I mean, it was obvious. One day, whoever heard of it, God at least allowed it. And you know what? All the devils and all the angels and all the men who knew about Job's situation on that day, every intelligent being in the universe aware of Job's trial sat there in anticipation of what he would say. And he sat in silence until he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in those words, Job was saying fundamentally this, He's the boss. I don't love him and serve him as long as he does my will. I'm his servant. I do his will. 
If he chooses good, praise his name. If he chooses pain, he knows what he's doing. Just like the three Hebrew children said, all right, if we have to go into the fire and that's God's will, we'll go into the fire if we are burned to cinders. If God doesn't deliver us, that does not affect whether or not we're loyal to him. And you know what? That purified faith that they had brought them through the fire with no hurt. And yet, some of us have been through a trial, and we're still here. We're still serving the Lord, and we can even tell you some of the good things that came out of it. But you know what? There's a little edge, a little reserve about trusting, a little alteration of our level of dedication. In other words, there's a difference since that year, and not a good one. And you can say, I was purified, and you are pure, yes, and improved, but not totally pure. You know why? Because down inside, you consciously harbor thoughts that God wasn't totally fair. And you know what? He owes me an apology or an explanation. And I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to love him, and I'm not going to be a fool and backslide. But you know what? I just wonder. I'm going to tell you, that little edge is killing you. And you would never call it bitterness. But that's exactly what it is. And you know what this is about? The lasting effects of a wrong response to chastisement. And it goes on. And it's a part of who you are. Now the other one I'll just mention quickly is illustrated by Esau who is called a profane person. And the illustration is when he sold his birthright for a pot of stew or whatever that was, that pottage. <laughs> sold his birthright, the right that he got at birth to an inheritance from his father of great earthly and in many ways heavenly value and he valued it not at all and did not give something valuable its proper value is to be profane and you know what Hebrews is saying is this some people go through a chastisement if you're exercised thereby it'll yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness you'll be partaker of his holiness You'll be better than you ever were. You'll be happier than you ever were, like Job was. Job came through that, and you know what? He said, he's the boss. Blessed be the name of the Lord, read the book of Job. And he comes out much better than he started out. Yeah. But you know, a profane person is that way because after or through a chastisement, they decided... It doesn't matter. Whatever. No matter what I do, things don't go right. You know, I don't know why he would do this to me. So, I don't care anymore. Doesn't matter, I just don't care. And Dr. Jim has told us that he has seen in young people the root of bitterness rising, leading to fornication, immorality, starting with bitterness, how could we make the connection? Both of them have to do with going through trials lovingly planned by our Father for our good, but we responded wrong. And one response is despair. <laughs> what difference does it make? Now, all those high and lofty sermons we've always heard, about God's goodness and God's plan for my life. He's got a wonderful plan for my life. I haven't seen too much wonderful yet. So, psst, who cares? Not bitter, but profane. Emptied of any value. No high ideals anymore. You're down on the lowest rung. Oh, I'll tell you what, and you're looking for trouble. Do you know how people get that way? They respond to chastisement the wrong way, according to Hebrews chapter 12. That's how. And he tells the preachers, he said, overseers, look out. 
Look out for bitter people and look out for profane people. You know how they got that way? They got that way by responding wrong to my dealings in their life. And you know what? There are people in this room who are classified correctly as bitter or profane. And you know what? You better get that straightened out. Now, I don't like sermons where all the preacher does is brings up the problem and says, you straighten it out, hit the altar, and get it right. How do you get right about a deep hurt? How do you get right about being profane? How do you get right about a very fundamental weakness in your Christian life? How's that ever happen? Well, would you look down there at verse 17? Esau gave up his birthright by selling it. But it says, you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, you know that story. He was rejected for the blessing of Abraham. Why? Because of his profane attitude. That's why it was. And you know what? He got to the point where there was no more place of repentance. Did you know what? You can stay with the wrong prospect about life so long that you ruin something. Now, we have a gracious God. And God is always fixing things we break and cleaning up our messes. But some things are totally gone. Totally gone. And there's no time anymore. No more place of repentance. Like what? A marriage. A child who's estranged because his mom and dad was bitter all his growing up. In church? Or what else? We are given a warning here about Esau. And you know, he came to the point of tears. And if, if he could ever take it back. But now watch. The word repentance is there. And he got beyond where repentance would do any good. But prior to that time, repentance would have done some good, which is where we are right now. Do you know what we can do? You can go back to your father and relive it. And say, you know what, Father? I was wrong. You didn't wrong me. You don't have to explain everything you do in my life. You're the boss. You know what's right. I can trust in you. And I've been wrong to charge you in my mind and to be bitter. And you know what, Lord? I never wanted to call it bitterness, but that's exactly what it is. And you know what? I don't know of anything that fixes that like a talk with your father. Now you have a father with an open door policy. He welcomes you into his presence. He's given you his word. And you know what somebody needs to do? Correct a long-standing problem by having a good talk with your father. You know, some of us, when I was saying, who cares? What difference does it make? You can pray till you're blue in the face. And you know what? You get another slap in the face. Now, I don't know about him. Matter of fact, I don't have much to do with him anymore. I'll see him when I get to heaven. I've got some questions. But I don't care. And you know what it's doing? It's corrupting your morals more all the time. But friends, I'm going to tell you something. That can be fixed. You know how? A personal talk with your father. Your whole life is the father-child relationship. Everything that happens has to do with him and you. So have a talk with him. And let him help you clear the air. Let's all bow our heads, can we? Dear Lord, you're doing something awful good this week already. It's only Monday. And Lord, you're taking the Bible and you're making certain verses personal. And Lord, a whole life that has saved people is the father-child relationship, including tonight. And you've spoken to us.
Lord, help us to respond to you. And Lord, help us to come to you with the absolute truth about our heart and our relationship to you. And let people all across this room have a talk with you that will bring them healing and bring them a much different life. That's my prayer. With our heads bowed, I'd like to add just to ask this. Who would say, Brother Flanders, Hebrews chapter 12 has revealed to me that I am suffering, if you want to call it that. I am affected today by responding wrong to something God did or allowed in my life in the past. And you know, I'm lame. I'm harmed. Not because of what he allowed, but because of my response. And I know that's true. And I right now am going to acknowledge that and ask you to pray for me. And if that would be you, raise your hand. Holding it up, just keep it up there. Take it down. You know, often in a Baptist church, we'll ask for hands, and it is for prayer. I'm going to have a prayer for those who raise their hand. But it's more of a decision or an acknowledgement on our own part, which is a big thing. Who else? I'm not talking about the same people. Who else will say, I could be classified to some degree under the words bitter or profane? And you know what? I've paid for it. And people in my life have paid for it. And it's all because I didn't respond right to something God brought or allowed in my life. And I know it. I know it. And I'd let you pray for me about this, Brother Flanders. If there's someone else, would you raise your hand? Hold it up in the air there. Hold it up. Take your hands down. You know, the Bible's an interesting book. If you just had a very pleasant and peaceful and run-of-the-mill life and grew older and retired and they had a nice funeral for you, you'd never get in the Bible Everybody in the Bible had a life with twists and turns and unexplainable difficulties and God working all things together for good. And you know what? All of us have had things that have thrown us. But if we come to the place of faith again and love for God, we'll be okay because our Father will work it out for good. But if we respond wrong, we change. And I think I'm just going to ask one more time. Is there anybody else, like one more person, and you wait till I respond, who would say, Mr. Flanders, tonight, Hebrews 12 told me something about my life story and about why I am the way I am. It had to do with a wrong response to what he was doing in my life. If that would be you, if there's one more, I'd like to see your hand right now. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, young person. Oh, God, thank you for talking to us yesterday day and today. Thank you, Lord, for speaking about the most sensitive and serious things in our life. Thank you, Lord, for people who heard your voice. Now, Lord, help us to deal with this very deep problem or at least start dealing with it tonight. Now, what I suggested at the end of the sermon is for you to have a talk with your father. When I give this signal, our instrumentalists are going to pick out a song, any song. And we're going to stand to our feet. And we're not going to sing, but I'm going to ask you, who are dealing with something that had to do with a wrong response in the past, to God's dealing with you, I'm going to ask you to walk to the front, forget about everybody in the room, find a place to sit or kneel, and start to have that talk. And you may have to make an appointment with the Father to talk to him later, further. But at least you could say, God, I know you're good, and I know you love me, and I've been wrong in the way I respond, but I'm turning around right now, 
and I'm going to let you have your way. If that's what you ought to do, you do it. Right now, as we stand to our feet, they start to play the song, and you come. Father, thank you for answering prayer for revival, revival in the school, revival among our friends, revival in the church. And Lord, yesterday, this morning, this afternoon, and tonight, we're all key to making things the way they ought to be. Thank you for what you showed us. Help us now, Lord, to be in full cooperation with you as a son. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just say that what you heard tonight is really a key matter as to the history of Christianity. So many people could have had blessing, but the edge was off. It really gets down to believing he loves us. He really does love us. We know it. We sing about it. But we can trust him. And we need to get that settled in our soul. And folks, God can put us anywhere and do anything he wants with us. He has the right. And it's always good. For the final prayer here tonight, would you make the deep decision. Lord, I trust you. You can do what you want. And I accept all that you have done. I want to learn from what you've done. But Lord, you're good. You've never done me wrong. Any problem I have is because I haven't turned to you. I choose to put my entire life in your hands. See, that's part of full surrender. I'll guarantee you, some here have come forward and surrendered but it wasn't with the full trust that God's ways are completely right. I'm telling you, when you get that settled, you're free. You are free. We're not here for us. We're here for him. If he wants to take me today, he can take me today. It's okay. I just want his will done. And I'm telling you, when you get that really settled, the joy of the Lord will flood your soul. And uh, that's really part of, of genuine reviving work is when we believe God is who he said he is. So I thank God for this message here tonight. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him to put this deep in our soul. Lord, thank you for this time we can spend, quiet our hearts, look deep into the truths that are so applicable uh, to us in our lives. So Lord, I pray there will be a genuine decision of trust in who you are. Lord, it'll keep from such pain and problems in the future. It'll keep us true to your word. It'll put us in a pathway of usefulness for your glory. Now, Lord, would you continue the work? Thank you already in these few short hours, how you've gone deep. Lord, you've answered prayer, but Lord, we know we've got two full days left. And Lord, you're wanting to do a work greater than we can see, but we know there'll be a spiritual battle. And so we ask for great power. Uh, by your spirit over the evil one. And Lord, would you give great victory in Jesus' name. Amen.